Hear the word of God from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. This reading comes from the New Revised Standard Version. You can find this reading on page 950 in the Pew Bible. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the results of work, so that no one may boost. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. The word of God for the world. Thanks be to God. So can you say this with me? God helps those who help themselves. God helps. Ever heard of that before? Yeah. Yeah. Yes? Once or twice. All right. So that's what we're going to be talking about today in just a moment. But before we get there, I want to tell you a story. When I was 25 years old, I was pumped. I recently had graduated uh, college with my bachelor's in social work from USF. I was all trained up with some school knowledge and getting ready to unleash it onto the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had some visions of possibly impacting the community, maybe some delusions of what that impact was going to look like. But I started working with guys coming out of jail and prison. And actually, a lot of people who, who have even been here a long time didn't know this. Right down the street on Azeal, at the corner of Fielder and Azeal, was a house is a house that 20 guys coming out of prison used to live back in the, in the 90s. And so I, I was there. It was before I was co- coming to Hyde Park. And that was my first job. And then my second job, I worked as a, a home visitor for the Healthy Start program. Um, if you don't know what that is, it's basically a program that supports women who are pregnant through the first year to kind of have good birth outcomes. And so my role was to build off their strengths, to help them identify and connect resources, and basically just be an encouragement um, and support for them. So because this happened in the home, I've been to every place in Hillsborough County, urban and rural, poor, places that you may have avoided, and it has been powerful. I've also have many, many interesting stories that I could tell you about as well, as well as powerful ones, right? So, here's why I tell you that. I was shaped by those early experiences in my life. They exposed me to vastly different culture from my white middle class and privileged upbringing. For the first time of my life, I had heard about it in books and, and on the news and all that stuff, but I actually saw I actually saw the complicated ripple effects of generational and systematic poverty right in front of my face. And it brought on new questions, unexplored questions, questions I didn't even know exist about God, about the poor, about charity, and about justice. Truth was, I had no idea what I was doing. 
Have you ever been there in your life at a job where you have no idea what you're doing? But here's the thing, passion makes up for a lack of experience a lot. It does. It'll, it'll get you a little bit further down the road. And I had lots of passion, or maybe arrogance. I don't know which one. There's a fine line there, perhaps. But my passion was high, and my gear to support clients was high, very high. And a mentor saw that. I was working pretty hard, and, and, and a mentor came and gave me some sage advice. He said, Justin, don't work harder than the client. Only help those who want to help themselves. So he was channeling client self-determination, which is a good principle. It's a social work principle in our code of ethics. But I bought in. And, but but that, that idea of helping those who help themselves is woven deeply into our country's DNA. And we believe it. Which is why a Barna group did a study in eight out of 10 people in this study, this was done a little while ago, believe that God helps those who help themselves is in the Bible. Eight out of 10. Do any of you believe that this morning? Don't put up your hands. Spoiler alert, it's not. It's not in the Bible. However, you would have known that if you got your bulletin and opened it up and our series is called It's Not in the Bible. So any of these sayings that we're gonna do, they aren't in there. Okay, so, but here's what that does do. It amplifies, it amplifies our country's work ethic, the Protestant work ethic that we were given in the value of personal responsibility. Not bad, a very good thing, right? You determine the outcome, right? You determine the outcome. You can live the American dream. Want something? Go make it happen. Got something broken in your life? Go fix it. That's kind of the ethic that we have kind of together in our social DNA. And this saying would not have stood the test of time if there wasn't truth in it. There's some truth in it. But we need to examine where it came from. So Adam Hamilton's book, Half Truth, says this. I didn't check up on him, but this is what he said. He said, allegedly it comes from uh, five centuries before Christ in Greek mythology. And then it kind of made its way down through the ages through different philosophies. But here's the guy who got it into our language and our DNA as a country. Ben Franklin. Ben Franklin wrote it in 1736 in this uh, pamphlet that he'd write yearly called Poor Richard's Almanac. That's where that saying came from. God helps those who help themselves. Now... Some people like to point to some scriptures too. There's, there's Proverbs and there's some Psalms that warn us of idleness and being lazy and some other stuff. But the scripture that is most often pointed to for this saying will appear on the screen. It's 2 Thessalonians 3.2. Thessalonians, a letter. It's Paul's second mission, missionary journey. He's writing to this little church, probably smaller than what we've got going on right here. And this is what he says. He says, for even when we were with you, we gave you this command. Anyone unwilling unwi to work shouldn't eat. For we hear that some of you are living in idleness. Can't you just hear the tone in that? Mere busybodies, not doing any work. Slackers, we call it. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly 
and to earn their own living. Go pull yourself up. Go do something. Here's the problem with it. The context doesn't support Ben Franklin's assertion. Here's the context. Paul is speaking to this church. Again, probably smaller than what we've got going on here. And he's saying, those of you who are able to work must work and contribute to the welfare of the whole. Now, these Christians believed in Jesus. They had faith in Jesus. But here's the thing. In Paul's early writings, everyone believed Jesus was coming back like really soon. So there were people in their communities like, I don't need to work. He's coming back. So I'm just going to live off the rest of the community. So that's the context that at least one commentator said. It doesn't support. Paul is telling them to keep their faith in Christ and contribute to everybody in the, in the community. So at best, God, God helps those who help themselves is partially true. Is partially true. At worst, and this is the problem I have it, it runs counter to the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not advocating that we sit back and say, I'm not going to do anything. God's got this. It's not going to get us a job. It's not going to grow us uh, our faith. It's not going to move us along in the things that we're called to do. That We have to co-create and with God with us, right? So that's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying at all. People need to be empowered. People need to be equipped. We need to create scaffolding to help people. Not saying that. But it, I will say that this saying falls perilously short as it relates to our understanding about Jesus Christ. Because it's, it implies that God doesn't help those who can't or who won't help themselves. Do we really believe that about God? So it's not only that belief about God, that God's not going to help those who, are gonna, who can't help themselves or turn God's back on that, but it also has an impact on his followers. It has an impact, a subtle impact sometimes, on you and me. And this is what it does. It can harden our hearts towards the poor and the oppressed. Making the privileged believe that if the poor just worked a little harder, everything would work out for them. It moves us from care and concern about our brothers and sisters, and it shifts us into the judgment seat. It's just the, it kind of puts us in assessor mode to decide whether or not people are helping themselves. And I'm not sure that that's what Jesus calls us to do. Judgment deadens our drive to serve our neighbors stuck in poverty and oppression or in the, even in the clutches of individual sin or addiction. Have you ever tried to help someone who was just a train wreck in their life or in your family and you can, and you can see so clearly how to help them but they refuse to engage it? Have you ever been there? If you haven't, you will. Someday, somebody will enter your life who will be a train wreck who you can't manage and won't listen to you. And that's really hard because we don't want to be codependent and do stuff for people who can do stuff for themselves. But at the same time, it can't deaden our hearts to mercy and to love. So that's, that's one issue, which brings me back to my story. 
that I was telling you about before. Remember that initial enthusiasm? Well, one fateful afternoon, after being stood up yet again by another client, probably the third in a day, and one day, one after another, discouragement fell heavily upon me, and judgment too. I was frustrated that clients didn't seem like they wanted to help themselves. So there in my little 1996 Geo Metro, this is a little three-cylinder, in public housing, I sat there, stewing. And my initial enthusiasm was waning because as a short time as a home visitor and social worker, I witnessed drug deals. I witnessed prostitution. I witnessed little babies shaking because of the effects of crack cocaine. I saw kids running around in the middle of the day, not at school. I saw burdened grandparents taking care of kids when they shouldn't have. And there in that space, those memories flooded in and judgment swirled across my mind and my inner critic raged. And I started to think, if they just tried, couldn't things be different? But then, then I surveyed the picture around me. All around this housing project were metal fences chipped like they were trying to keep people in or keep others out there was trash all along the streets and the easements littered everywhere evidence of institutional and generational poverty and oppression had its talents deeply entrenched in this community and there in my car in that moment my eyes were opened in a different way in my spirit, it was like God was whispering me to say, hey, Justin, if you were born into this experience in these circumstances, you would be doing nothing differently. A sense of conviction and humiliation washed over my body, my mind, a sense of guilt that I could stand there in judgment, not having walked in anybody else's shoes. And that saying from the 12 steps came to me. Only for the grace of God go I. And only for the grace of God go you too. We are capable of any sin, any brokenness, any brokenness, any way that we separate from our brothers and sisters because we're human. With the right circumstances and the right environment, we could do whatever it is we judge to. At that moment, for me, it was the great equalizer. You know, the Tampa Times this week, I don't know, I actually like a physical paper. I don't know if you guys, y'all do too. I can't stand on the computer. The younger people are like, who is this dude? Somebody actually, walked, somebody actually walked up to me when I was reading the paper and go, how old are you? <laughs> She's like 12 years old. I thought about smacking her in Christian love, but I didn't. So anyway, it, 
I digress. The Tampa Times ran an article this week. It was, it was, uh, it was troubling. It was about affordable housing crisis. And it, and it said, a minimum wage worker would have to work 87 hours a week to get a two-bedroom apartment in Hillsborough County. Modestly priced. 1,133 a month. 87 hours. God helps those who help themselves. You see, brothers and sisters, Christians, you and me, are called to be a blessing to the community out in the world. Here and now, as we wait for later, we are called through acts of charity where we give without expectation of return. That doesn't mean we become codependent. That doesn't mean we, we don't look at ways that people take advantage. I'm not saying any of that. But what I am saying is that God calls us to be charitable. And God calls us to look at the conditions that allow 200 people to come here every Sunday morning to eat a breakfast because they are poor or they are homeless. Or that a mother of three at Metropolitan Ministries can't afford a house in Hillsborough County. That's what God is calling us to do. Because all throughout the scripture, and I could bore you with one after another after another, it says that God cares about those on the margins, the poor, those who are helpless, those who can't help themselves. He hears their cries in Egypt, and they hears their cries here in this place. Because you see, God calls his people to help those who can't help themselves. That's the problem with this statement. You see, James sums it up this way in the first chapter, verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To care for orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. There may be somebody in your life right now that's stuck and seemingly who can't or who won't help themselves. Don't be a judge. Don't be a judge. Or there may be a group where you look out into the world and you look out over our community and your heart is shattered because it's just broken. It could be kids, it could be affordable housing, it could be prisoners, I don't know what it is, but there is something that God is calling you to that's outside your bubble. That's the essence of our mission, brothers and sisters. We say it all the time. We want to make God's love real. We want to make disciples of Jesus Christ whose lives are centering on loving God and loving our neighbor, which means people different than ourselves, including our enemies, the hardest part of the gospel. We want to do that. We want to make God's love real, which takes the thoughts that we have in our head about that and brings it to life here and now as we wait for later. But there's another problem with that saying, and I think it's even, it's as deep or it it is as problematic as the first one, which deadens our hearts to our brothers and sisters on the margins. It's this. I call it good person theology. Good person theology. The churchy way to say it is works-based righteousness. Google that if you don't know what it means. It's the pervasive belief in our culture that I just have to be a good person. That's all I'm called to. I just need to be a good person to be saved. That's folly in the scriptures. 
absolutely folly. Because it erroneously suggests that our works, our being good, is what gets us in right relationship with God, rather than faith in Jesus Christ. Salvation is assured by believing that Jesus lived on this earth and taught us, and that he died and was crucified, and he was resurrected by God on the third day. To take away the brokenness of our individual sin, which is our individual separation, but as big to take away the brokenness of the world, the systems of the world that are broken. Jesus Christ is what offers and restores our relationship between us and God, between us and each other, and even with ourselves. Jesus. It's the churchy word known as grace. And there's no earning it. There's no buying it. There's no helping ourselves up to it. We can't be a good person to get it. It's only asked for and received. And Romans says it this way. Romans says it, when people work, their wages aren't a gift, but something they have earned. But people are counted as righteous. Now that's a churchy word. In right relationship, in restored relationship with God. Not because of our work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. If you have never experienced that, invited Christ into your life, there's nothing, nothing you have ever done, bad or good, that can get you right with God. It's God's love for you, God's amazing radical grace who loves you just the way that you are but loves you too much to leave you there and pulls you into a deeper relationship with Christ and the church. And if you've never experienced that or never talked to anyone about that, I'd love to talk to you about that. Love to talk to you about that. Write your name on a card or call me or whatever. You know, recently, a person called me who was a long-term Christian. He'd been faithful to Jesus most of his life. I mean, all of his life, really. He was baptized. He believed in grace. He believed in our, our, our Ephesians passage today. Lives a good life. But recently, there was an area in his life that just threw him out of control. Couldn't help himself. Couldn't stop. And over the months, it became clear to him that just because you're a follower of Jesus, just because you believe in Jesus, been living a good life, doesn't mean that sin or brokenness or fractured relationships don't take over. Don't take over. And that you don't need to reconnect to the power of Jesus Christ. My own experience, I've experienced that. And what I have witnessed in the lives of this congregation over the past 14 years is that when we can't help ourselves or we can't help somebody else that we love and care about, that's the most fertile time for us to experience the radical, radical grace of Jesus. I've seen it in the eyes of of parents with an addicted child that they can't help. I've seen it and heard it in the stories of people doing everything they can to make ends meet, but they fall short. I've seen it in the souls of people struggling with addiction to drugs and alcohol and computer websites who can't break a pattern. 
I've seen it in our Portico workforce housing. Guys with felonies who can't find good housing that they can afford. And I've seen it in good old church folk just like you. There's a, if there's a, there's a time that, that we can connect to the power of the gospel, the good news, we will come to see that God can change our lives in the world. And this is our, our text today. And I'm going to use it personally. I'm going to encourage you to use this text and put your name in it. Make it personal. For grace, Justin has been saved through faith. And this is not Justin's doing. It's a gift of God. Not the result of Justin's works, so that he can't boast. For we are what he has made us. For we are what we have made Justin. Justin has been created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be Justin's way of life. Brothers and sisters, there will be a time and there will be a place and there will be a circumstance where you experience powerlessness. A situation where no matter how hard you try, you can't help yourself and God will be there. Inside of your hole in your soul, there will be a shape like a cross. The cross of Christ to come and fill it. And there are places in the community that have that same hole in their soul, both co- collectively and individually. And you know what? You are Christ to fill that cross-shaped hole. God helps through grace. So instead of us living this half-baked truth that God helps those who help themselves, which is partially true, let us believe and live this. God helps through grace. God helps through sending his spirit to each one of us to power us, give us power over sin and oppression and all of its forms. You may be the Jesus that somebody's been waiting for to be present to. God helps us through God's grace. And God sends us. And God sends people to help us when we are helpless, which God knew about long before the cosmos was created. So this week, go and love deeply, love without judgment, and listen to that whisper of God in your life, calling you to make God's love real. Let's pray together. God of light and of love, We give thanks for your grace, which is sometimes hard for us to understand. That there's nothing we can do to get you to love us more than you love us now. Inspire us. Fill those places in our heart where we need you, where we feel helpless. And send us to be the help in the world. It is in Christ's name we pray. In the name of the creator, redeemer, and sustainer God. Amen. We respond to the word of God through our gifts and offerings, all of which supports the church and its ministries. Thank you for your generosity.